Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, once again, we are separated by oceans and continents. But for a brief period of time, oh so brief, we were not separated. We were in the same zip code. Oceans of water and oceans of time. Now separate. And oceans of regret. Yes. That sounds like... Bad things happened. Yeah, right. But no, it's all, it was all good. Uh, yes. Oceans of Time is also a little reference to uh, some some interviews we'll be sharing at the end of this episode, but that's a little treat for later on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We do have some 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 goodies from our time together in New York, but the reason we were together, for those people listening who might not know, is that uh, just a, a week ago or so, we went to the New York Comic Con, which of course is uh, one of the single biggest pop culture conventions in the world. And Phil, for the second year in a row, came over from the UK to the shores of the US here, and we invaded New York together and spent four days uh, interviewing uh, really great movie stars and directors and writers and uh, also geeking out a little bit and hitting the the convention floor a bit and uh, maybe buying a few things and... We saw a movie together, and you yeah. know, it was uh, we did a lot of fun things. Yeah, we saw lots of other things that we'd like to buy but couldn't quite afford because there's oh, so yeah. many gorgeous statues, toys, posters, artwork. Oh, so many beautiful things, but obviously limited budget. You've got to make sure you pick and choose carefully. But I think I think it did okay. But I almost bought some very expensive dice. That's from, right. <laughs> uh, from uh, that uh, lovely dice shop, Level Dice, I think it was called. But they were very expensive, and I couldn't justify it. <laughs> you uh, you made up for it by getting a T-shirt screen printed by uh, a pretty famous guy. Yes, I did. Uh, Joe Manganello, uh, who loves playing uh, Dungeons & Dragons. I'm a big Dungeons & Dragons fan as well. And he was there promoting his Death Saves T-shirts. And that's so why I went along, bought one. He screen printed it for me. We shook hands, and there was the D and D bond there. And I, you know, he's a good guy. And I think about the, I'm about the same size as him. I think if it worked out, <laughs> if it worked out. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and honestly, you guys are like spitting images of each other too. I mean, you do have a very strong resemblance to to Joe Manganiello. Yeah, if it worked out and did dye my hair, I probably had some facial reconstruction. <laughs> I I probably look as good as him. Yeah, you'd, you'd pass for him in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, sure. totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wasn't there for that, unfortunately. I didn't get to meet him. I was off uh, doing some other press-related stuff. But anyway, so we thought this episode, uh, this is a mini-episode, we're going to skip the usual top five lists, uh, and we're going to kind of recap some of our adventures in New York for you. Uh, before we do that, I just want to take a minute to remind you guys, if you're listening, if you're a faithful listener and you're like, hey, this is like the 27th mini-episode in a row, what's going on? Uh, there's a good reason for that. Uh, not only were Phil and I at the New York Comic Con, but I also went to the Baltimore Comic Con the week before, and and right now I'm in the middle of packing up and moving my entire house. We have bought a new house, my family. We are moving next weekend. So things are chaotic as heck at the moment. So uh, bear with us for a couple more weeks. Things are going to get a little worse before they get better. But we will continue to bring you some sort of an episode every week. But just stick with us 
for a little longer. We do have some great after the endings and some more top tens in the pipeline, ready to go real soon. We should be uh, back to our regular recording schedule in short order, but we just have to get through this crazy travel, travel, moving bout of just chaos. I'm sure the listeners understand, but thank you for your patience. Yeah, exactly. In this this trying time, as they say. (laughs) Right. We do appreciate it. I know a lot of people really enjoy our our mini episodes as well, and hopefully if there's people out there who are behind, uh, maybe this is a good chance to catch up because we're not hitting you with a full hour every week. Uh, but thank you again for your patience. And like I said, more more endings uh, will be coming very soon. Yeah, some good ones. Yes, indeed. But anyway, Mike, come on, let's talk about New York Comic Con. All right. Well, uh, I mean, I guess we should kind of just take it in order a little bit. Thursday was, you know, we met on Thursday morning and then we went to the convention center. And the first thing we did was get a preview of the booth from the experience, as they call it, from Stars Network, which does um, Outlander and American Gods. And they had recreated kind of scenes or settings from those two shows. Yes, I, I'm not. I have not watched Outlander yet, so I just saw a log cabin. <laughs> right. Well, it was reflective of the upcoming season where they're in a colonial America. Uh, it was neat. They did have some cool stuff. They had like a leather pressing, like authentic leather pressing uh, thing, where they gave us these little leather luggage tags and they like stamped gold foil, stamped our initials on them. Uh, they had some like old time kind of perfumes and colognes. Yeah, they had maps from the actual show and a few other artifacts and uh, props and things, didn't they? Yeah. In there. And it's, the set dressing was wonderful. Right. And uh, we, did, we did get, uh, in the goodie bag we got, we, we did get some of the, the cologne that's was it George Washington War? Yeah, at his inauguration, George yeah. Washington. And it did smell very nice. I cannot tell a lie. It did smell nice. <laughs> yeah. So that was a neat little uh, goodie. And then the, right after that, we went over next door to the American Gods Cafe, where they uh, had recreated one of the the scenes, the sets from the show. Uh, and we actually took a fun picture, which we'll be sharing on our social page uh, soon. So you can look for that. Yeah, so it's basically just, it just gets you in the mood for the, the shows which are coming back. Well, at the, t- at the time of this, some of them might, American Gods hasn't come back yet, but it's it's due, season two's due and Outlander season three, is it? Season four, actually. Yeah, it should be starting right after this episode drops. Yeah, and the Thursday, what else did we do? Well, then we tooled around for a little while, went to Artist Alley. I uh, picked up some artwork, met some great artists. Uh, we hit the show floor for a little bit, saw all those toys and statues that you were talking about. So yeah. that was kind of our, a little bit of our downtime before things started to get crazy. Yeah, so we, we did that as well because it wasn't, well, it was still busy, but it's as it was the Thursday, the first day, it's uh, it was one of the quieter days. We also caught up with some old friends. That's right. That's uh, right. Some some other reporters and journalists. So yep. a shout out to all of them. Yes, and you know who you are. To, <laughs> hello to all of you guys. Uh, and then we had our first interview for the day, which was the Man in the High Castle press room, which had Rufus Sewell and Alexandra Davalos and some other stars from the show. And that was really cool. Uh, Rufus Sewell is awesome, and we're both big fans. And, and in case you're wondering, too, a lot of these interviews, we're not going to put all of them on the show directly just because we did so many. And, we, you know, we're not really an interview show. We like to share a couple here and there. But um, we are going to put all of them up on the Live for Films website. That's liveforfilms.com. Um, so those will be popping up over the next couple of weeks. You'll see uh, a lot of the interviews we mentioned here today. You can go listen to them in their entirety uh, at Phil's website. That's that's correct. So that's liveforfilms.com. Uh, we'll put links on the, uh, the Facebook pages and Twitter. For whenever they, they go live yep. on the uh, after the end of social media, but also in that one it was for the Man in the High Castle season three, which is now it's been on Amazon Prime. The first few episodes are there, but as Mike said, Rufus Sewell was was brilliant, uh, as he's British like me. <laughs> uh, while we were waiting for the interview, I had a, I went to, I was talking to him and uh, he he had my accent and then he was talking about the fact 
he did the theatre in Port Sunlight, which is just down the road from me. So it was, it was nice having a little chat with Rufus about that. It was like one of the most British conversations it I've was, ever heard. It All was, I know yeah. is I, I heard like Liverpool and Surrey and Penny Whistle and tea <laughs> and soccer. Or, well, and then I went, and, cool, blimey. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a very, uh, but so but so proper because you're both such like, you know, <laughs> like very British gentlemen. It was such a, a, a very like laid back, relaxed it, it was, it was, British it was, conversation. It was quite nice as well, the fact uh, he knew some of the, the pubs as well, which I I, I go I frequent, uh, and it's just it's just nice hearing about somebody's early years. You know, some of these big stars. You know, they, they were jobbing actors going from theatre to theatre on uh, whatever they could uh, play they could get into. But that was uh, that yeah. was it was a great uh, press press room that one. Yeah, I just stood there like a dog watching tennis on TV, just going back and forth, looking at you and him and you and him, because I had literally nothing to add to that conversation. So, well, you see, uh, it's, yeah. it's the trouble. You know, you Americans decided to leave the Empire. So, <laughs> what can I say? I, I mean, I didn't personally make that decision, but, you know, <laughs> I can't really be held responsible yeah, for that. Yeah, I imagine not yet. How old are you? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was fun. Um, and then uh, we had another, well, I had another press room at, um, I did the Supermansion press room, which was really cool. Uh, that's a really funny show that's on Crackle, uh, which you can get as an app on your smart TV or your little devices. It's it's really worth tracking down. It's a stop motion show, kind of like Robot Chicken, but not in uh, sketch form. It's like a, a narrative uh, and Brian Cranston and, and Brecken Meyer were in that press room along with some of the show's creators. And it was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever been a part of. I mean, Brian Cranston started it off with giving a not serious answer. And that was pretty much the end of any chance of us getting any actual serious answers. And from that point on, it was literally just a half an hour of every person in the room trying to one up each other with jokes, <laughs> uh, not many of which I can repeat or air on this show. There was many, many references to Brian Cranston's uh, male anatomy, we'll say, uh, and that was about as clean as it got. So it was a really surreal experience. He's very funny. Um, they were all very funny. It was, it was a lot of fun, but interesting, to say the least. <laughs> Fantastic. So yeah, so that was pretty much that wrapped up our interviews. Thursday was our lightest day. We, uh, we hit the floor a little bit more, and then we headed off and had a yummy dinner. Yeah, a, a lovely meal in a very nice place. Uh, trademark, it was called. Yep, on 36th uh, And we headed back to our Airbnb, and our experience with Airbnb has been very good. First time I've Airbnb'd. Yeah, me too. And uh, it was good, cool little apartments uh, on 6th Avenue. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, very chill, very nice. Uh, it was good to be able to just feel like actually living in the city as opposed to just staying in a hotel. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, it was it was a neat experience. Uh, and then it was to turn right back around and go to the Javits the next morning. Uh, started off the morning, I interviewed the cast of Marvel's Runaways show, which I really, really enjoy, and they were all really great. Um, you know, young cast, but they were all really game and really fun. And actually, I think we'll be sharing some interviews from that on the show because there was a really fun story about this uh this bread wars that went on on the set involving some prop bread and i, I managed to get each actor to talk <laughs> about it so it was actually it's really fun so i think we'll have some um some of those interviews here here on the show in a few weeks probably cool and then i was also in the press room for alita battle angel which is directed by robert rodriguez and i also spoke to him and the star rosa salazar and keen johnson uh, that was a great talk as well uh, this film's been in development for years with uh, James Cameron working on it, but he asked Robert Rodriguez, because they've known each other for about 20-odd years, he asked Rodriguez to take over and direct the film. And it was, it was good talking to Robert, because he was just saying how he wanted to make he wanted to make this lost James Cameron film, he, as, as it were, because he's uh, he knows how he works, and he wanted to make it look like that and just be this big, epic, huge science fiction fantasy battle film. But uh, Robert Rodriguez was just saying he, he, he filmed it all in about 60 days, the main shoot, and he just that which blew James Cameron away because James Cameron likes to do, 
you know, many takes and get it all perfect and spot on. I'm very interested to see more of that now. Yeah, for sure. I uh, That's another one. We probably will air some of those interviews here on the show as the movie gets closer to release uh, since that's a more movie-related uh, you know, thing, but uh, I'm excited to see it. More excited than I was for before, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so then there was a real exciting interview opportunity for both of us. We got to uh, sit down and talk to some of the creators and cast of Batman, the animated series. Such a good show. Which is, yes, one of the all-time great uh, television shows and animated shows, and uh, they are putting out a massive box set of the entire series. Yeah, and I've, pre- I've pre-ordered it and it's been pushed back till the start of November now. It was meant to be the end of the month, but it's been like another few days. I'm going, no! <laughs> Uh, so that was uh, that was really great. We spoke with Bruce Tim, who was the you know the producer and director of a lot of the episodes. Uh, Kevin Conroy, who was the voice of Batman. Uh, who else was in there? Yeah, it was just amazing. I was talking to Kevin Conroy. I mean, Jesus, just he is my Batman. He's the ultimate yeah. Batman. Uh, but there's also Tara Strong, who does. Uh, she did the voice of Batgirl and Harley Quinn. But as she, as she was uh, talking to other people around the room, the interview room, because there's lots of different round tables and things like that, and a press line. But every now and again, you could hear her doing Carly Quinn, which was very surreal. Uh, we also had uh, Diane Pershing, who she was the voice of uh, Poison Ivy originally in the show. Uh, and it was amazing talking to her because she was saying she had no idea about you know how big the fandom was. It was only about two years ago when her daughter asked her to go to a local comic convention. Where, and she was there. It was just in the library or something. It was like... Uh, 100-odd people waiting to see her, and she it just blew her away. So she spoke to her agent and then found out about all this, you know, fandom. And she just, she was just, it was just nice seeing somebody who did this job and did, and cared about the job uh, suddenly find out how popular it was, and she was just blown away. So that was really nice talking to her. Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, it's good. It's definitely, if you're a fan of the series, uh, Batman Animated Series, it's coming out, they're all, it's every episode from the TV show, and it's most of the animated films as well. So you've got Mike's favourite Mask of the Phantasm, well, it's, yep, it's, it's pretty damn right. good film. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sub-Zero as well. Uh, it doesn't come with uh, Rise of the Batwoman, though, and people we spoke to didn't quite know why, so uh, I can't give, explain that. But that's out. It's now out at the start of November, but you can pre-order it on the various places you go to. And if you find a Batman, you know you want it, so go do it. That's It, it really is going to be an amazing thing, so I'm hoping to get my hands on one as well. Yeah, then later on, I wandered over to uh, Madison Square Gardens for a panel there. It was for the new Tales of Arcadia animated show called Three Below. Uh, you'll know Troll Hunters from Netflix. So this is uh, developed by Guillermo del Toro, and it features the voice cast of uh, Diego Luna, Tatiana Maslany, and also Glenn Close and Nick Offerman. And at the panel, we saw the first episode. It looks very, very good. Same style as Troll Hunters. It's also set in the same universe. The first, I think, episode overlaps with uh, the end of the last season of Troll Hunters, and some of the characters will interact and cross over. So there'll be lots of stuff there. But this one deals with aliens coming to Earth. Uh, three aliens who disguise themselves as humans and the shenanigans that they get up to. But it was a great panel. Glenn Close showed up. She's doing the voice of the mothership. She was there for the panel with the dog Pip. And then we all celebrated Guillermo del Toro's birthday because uh, they brought out a cake and we all sang happy birthday to him, which was very nice. Yes, I wasn't there for that. I was doing another press room, but then afterwards we went to, we did do a press room for Three Below, and we got to interview Guillermo and Diego Luna, who you might know better as Captain Cassian Andor from Star Wars Rogue One. So that was very exciting to talk to him. Yeah, very nice meeting Guillermo del Toro. I got to speak about yes. H.P. Lovecraft with him, which was good. <laughs> That's right. Both of them were extremely nice. Uh, this is actually the second time I've interviewed Guillermo, and he's just fantastic, and Diego Luna couldn't have been nicer. And I did get to tell him how much uh, I love the Book of Life, which uh, he was very happy to hear, and he was very gracious about that. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, another interview we might we might share on the show here if we if we can squeeze it into an, uh, a future episode. Yeah, probably never when the uh, three below comes out because I think that's due out November or December. Right, exactly. 
So that'll be fun. And that pretty much wrapped up uh, That wrapped up Friday for us. We went out to dinner, met some friends of mine. Actually, one of my high school friends was in town, so we had a lovely dinner with them. And then Saturday, we uh, we journeyed back to the Javits. We made a pit stop on the way. Uh, first thing in the morning, we went and saw a Q&A with Sophie Turner, who most of you will know as Sansa Stark from Game of Thrones. And also she plays Jean Grey or Phoenix in the current X-Men movies. Uh, she was in uh, Apocalypse and also will be in the, the upcoming Dark Phoenix. Uh, that wasn't a press interview. That was just a kind of a fan thing. We just went and sat in the audience because we had a little time to kill before our first interviews. And neither one of us wanted to try and fight the crowds on the floor of the Javits uh, <laughs> uh, on a Saturday. But the Sophie Turner one, about, especially about Dark Phoenix, was interesting because she was saying this one, it's a very emotional film. Uh, hopefully they've learned the lessons from X... Was it X2? No, X-Men, uh, The Last Stand. They've learned yep. lessons from that, hopefully. But as she said, it's a lot more emotional and uh, character-driven. So there should be... She was, so I'm hoping it's going to be a satisfying watch. Uh, I'm still... The jury's still out for me on it because I still think they're rushing it by just gathering, introducing Sophie Turner's Jean Grey in, in Apocalypse and then suddenly went to Dark Phoenix. But anyway, she was lovely. It, was, it sounded like a blast filming uh, Dark Phoenix. Uh, she said Jessica Chastain is plays a character who's sort of her mentor in the new film, but she also became a mentor to Sophie Turner. Uh, it, was just, it was just nice, lots of little insights and things she was talking about and, and some of Game of Thrones, how one of the things she wanted to take home with her from where, like a promo shoot was this big statue of Sansa Star because she wanted to put it in the back garden and stand there looking at it uh, as paparazzi took photos. So people were going, what the hell is she doing? And she, <laughs> she was very funny, down to earth. Uh, and it was, it, was, it was lovely seeing somebody, you know, you've seen in Game of Thrones, you know, talking about it and, and you'd, you definitely realize that it's such, it was such a family they developed over there. And it's, yeah. a, it's a shame it's coming to a close, but uh, I can't wait to see the last season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, then we headed over to uh, the Javits once again and did some interviews. Had a couple of random ones thrown in that were uh, ups and downs. Talked to the cast of Future Man, uh, the Hulu show. And I think you also spoke with the cast of Reign of the Superman, the upcoming DC animated movie. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, it follows on from the death of Superman. Uh, and this one, it features uh, Patrick Fabian from Better Call Saul. He's Howard in that. He's doing the voice of uh, Hank Henshaw, Cyborg Superman. So uh, he was great. He loved. It. I think this was. I think playing this character was his first voice work for animated things. But he said he loved it. It was just. It was great. And I asked him, well, you know, if, he, if he'd ever have the chance in his career to play Superman, would he? And he, he thanked me for the compliment. <laughs> Uh, because he said he's getting on a bit, but he said he'd make a perfect Lex Luthor, and I'd I'd have to agree with that. He'd be fantastic as Lex Luthor. He's terrific, yeah. Yeah, but it was there was a good good interview with him. So I made my way over to the Outlander panel, which was at Madison Square Garden, which was a bit chaotic, uh, but I wanted to see the cast <laughs> from Outlander. My wife and I are big fans of the show. I got to see them from very very far away. Uh, my VIP seating wasn't as VIP as I would have liked. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'd hate to see how they treat the not so VIPs, but uh, you know. Anyway, uh, but it was cool to see them up on stage for a little bit. I got to see the first episode of the new season, which is really good. Uh, and then Saturday night, after that was all over, we went and saw a movie, our first movie together. After talking about them on this show for almost three years, this is the first time we actually sat in a theater and watched a movie together. Yeah, and as it was Comic-Con, we, we went to see a comic-related one. And as Venom was the only one in the, on the screens that time, we went and saw Venom. Yeah, which you know, was enjoyable. It, was, it wasn't as bad as the reviews had made out. Right, I mean, the reviews really had set us up to, to sit through like a really awful, terrible movie. And, and it wasn't. It was, you know, it certainly isn't. A... It, it was like a film from about 10 or 15 years ago. Yes, yes. It was like one of the first comic book movies you'd seen. It was, 
it was muddled, messy in places, but Tom Hardy and his interactions with Benham were very funny. Yeah. Even though it was tonally it was all over the place. But I, I, I quite enjoyed Tom Hardy doing a bit of comedy with Venom. That for sure. And it's making a ton of money, so I can't wait to see who they get to play Venom in the second movie because I don't see any way on earth Tom Hardy comes back for that. He doesn't strike me as the type of actor who likes wants to do a superhero franchise. You know what I mean? Well, you never know. I think he's got a like that. Yeah, that's you can never tell with Tom Hardy. He's he's always. I don't know. He's yeah, kind of a strange dude. I, I I see him just being like the guy who's gonna be like, "Yep, I I did it." He's gonna be like Val Kilmer, like he did the Batman thing yeah. once, and then he's gonna just move on and like, I, I don't know. I I will be very surprised if he comes back for a, a sequel. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. That's just that's the, just me. Because the, uh, the 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 post credit scene did set it up for a sequel, but oh, it absolutely did. I just I yeah. just feel like of all people to try and sign to a franchise, Tom Hardy is like the last person you'd want to sign because yeah. he's so mercurial and so just like he hates everything. Like he seems like one of those actors who, as soon as he's done making a movie, he automatically doesn't like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's uh, it's well, they could just do Venom. The next one it could just be Venom all the time. So it's just a big CGI Venom. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't cost a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> just a guy in a black bodysuit. That's all you need. Yeah, that's all. That yeah. would work. <laughs> and then Sunday kind of finished things off uh, a little calmer. We got to spend some time walking around the convention a bit more. Yeah, there are lots of amazing cosplayers out there, and I salute all the cosplayers who wear those some of the huge heavy costumes in that heat. Because I was walking around in jeans and a t-shirt, and I was hot. I'm a little bit sweaty on occasion, but some of those cosplayers, they were just full body stockings and there's all like other stuff on top of them, prosthetics on the faces. But the, you know, the, the amount of work and effort and love they put into them, you've got to admire every single one of them. Absolutely. Um, but kind of wrap things up really with uh, two press rooms. One was we spoke to the uh, star and the creators of the movie Prospect, which is coming out in November. Yeah, it's a nice little low budget indie sci-fi. It also stars Pedro Pascal. Uh, he wasn't at the press room, but uh, I've watched I've watched the film, and it's uh, it's it's a low budget indie sci fi film, but the uh, it, it looks amazing. The the props and the the whole the whole building, you know, all the uh, the sets, the spacecraft, and it's is amazing. All the buttons work; it looks lived in, a little bit dirty. The spacesuits incredible. They made they made the whole film. All the actors when they were on this planet, which they filmed in a, a forest near where they lived. It's based on a short film as well they made. But all the actors, they they wore, when they were on the planet, they wore space helmets and space suits. And so it was all filmed with an actual space suit enclosing there. You know, it's, there was, there's proper glass in there. There's no CGI glass like they did with gravity and other things like that. So, and it works. It works really well. You can hear everything they say. It makes it sound, uh, it, it makes it feel more realistic, you know, the fact that they are wearing these space suits. And it's, it's a good story, small story, but it's uh, for an indie a low-budget film like this, it's extremely well done. So that's coming to Dust, uh, the YouTube channel Dust, at some point. Now. I think it's getting a theatrical release as well in the States. Yep, yep. So check, check your local press for details. There you go. Uh, and then finally wrapped it up by talking to um, some stars and the director of one of the biggest movie franchises of the last 10 years, which is celebrating its 10th anniversary, uh, and that is Twilight. Uh, I got to speak with uh, Kellen Lutz and Jackson Rathbone from the cast and director Catherine Hardwick. Um, now, I like the Twilight films. I know a lot of people, a lot of guys especially, don't uh, necessarily like these films. But I have to say that Kellen Lutz and Jackson Rathbone were both extremely nice, very personable, and we had a good chat with them. So we are actually going to play some interviews for you in in just a second here from that press room because it was a, it had some really good conversations with them. And I know there are a lot of Twilight fans out there. We saved them for last. In case you're not a Twilight fan, you can just skip ahead to the outtakes at the end. But uh, they're they're really good interviews, and I think that you'll enjoy listening to them, even if you're not a, a diehard Twilight obsessive. The interviews are coming up now. Mike's going to give you a rundown 
of who's uh, talking. So over to you, Mike. All right. Well, first up, we have Kellen Lutz, who played Emmett, one of the Cullen vampires. Uh, super nice guy. And I, I understand, I'm not positive, I understand that the ladies uh, find him quite pe- appealing to the eye. So uh, here's Kellen Lutz talking about Twilight and other things. Twilight sort of opened the door for all these YA film adaptations, but most of them didn't even come close to the success of Twilight. What do you think it is about the Twilight films that really captured the audiences the way that it did? Everything starts with the story. And at the end of the day, this was a beautiful love story between something that shouldn't and something that is. And I, I think the fantasy of that, and again, it had the innocence and the purity of she loved Edward, didn't matter what he was, and she didn't judge him for anything. She just wanted to be seen, and she felt seen by him, and he really did see her like, inside and out. So I think the purity of it all, and the love story, and, and the great story that it was. And it's the journey, I'm just grateful. I'm more a journey person, even with road trips. Like I really, the destination's fun when you, when you have plans, but a lot of times you don't have you don't know what the destination is going to really look like. You can have pictures just like your life. Anyone can tell you 10 years as an actor, you're going to have this, you're going to have that. But for me, as long as you're enjoying the journey, and that's what Twilight's been for me personally, it's been fun. Every aspect of it has just been so much fun. Maybe minus the white makeup when we were shooting the movies. But all in all, 10 years looking back, and I'd have to, I, I'd have to ask myself, is it from when the movies ended, but then that was only five years ago, maybe. So it's when it first started, and I was 23, I'm 33 right now. So 23, I don't remember much. I don't, and I, I, I was talking to my wife, I, you know, I got married nine months ago, sorry, one year, and, and looking back, I, it's weird, because I kind of wish I had Twilight now. I think, I know I would have experienced it more. I think when I was younger, not like I was partying or, or, or I just, it was a lot. It's a lot. And it's hard to grasp it at that age when you don't have much to compare it to, just like growing up. So now that I'm in my 30s, if I had that, I'd, I'd know what to appreciate. And I appreciated it all pretty evenly. but. Yeah, it's, it's the journey, and I, I just can't believe it's, it's gone like that. Here we have Jackson Rathbone, who is also very cool, an extremely creative guy, does a lot of stuff outside of the Twilight world, writing, producing, directing. He does music. He has a new album coming out. Uh, and we actually spoke about a lot of that stuff. So again, even if you're not a huge Twilight fan, we didn't actually talk that much about Twilight. So have a listen. It's been 10 years now, I think 11 years since we started filming. And, you know, now I'm a father, uh, I have two kids, uh, I have produced, I have directed, I've written, and it's, it's been an amazing experience getting to kind of look back and think, you know, how, how young I, I, I was and how old I thought I was at the time, and then how life, you know, really changes. And, and to be, to have kind of grown up through this series, and, you know, this is, the first movies was before Instagram, before Twitter, really before Facebook took off. And you know how the world has changed and social media has really changed the industry. It's it's been a wonderful learning process. 
Twilight opened the floodgates for a lot of YA movie adaptations, um, but none really touched the popularity of, of Twilight. What do you think it was about, about your films that really captured people more than any, any other one? Well, right before Twilight, I think, was Harry Potter. Right. And I think Harry Potter kind of kicked open the doors of, let's, let's tell these fantastical books and make them into movies. And then Twilight came about, and it was much more female-centric. I mean, this was a story about a young woman who, over the course of you know uh, four books or five movies, uh, really became extremely powerful, and she chased what she wanted to chase, and she fell in love with, you know, even though it was dangerous, she pursued, and it, it's really a coming of age story of this young lady, and I and and I think that's it was kind of the impetus behind a lot of YA films and books nowadays. You see much more female protagonists and it's amazing and having grown up in a family with only sisters and very strong women and very strong mothers uh, I, I love seeing those stories told and to have been a part of it like to me the best part about Jasper was Alice you know he was or she was his rock right. and without her you know this guy would be a really kind of monstrous vampire and it was uh, so to me it's it's really not so much about the YA aspect but about you know really finally getting a chance to tell uh, stories through, through, through a female perspective we couldn't have had a better director than, than Catherine Hardwick especially coming out of 13 which is one of my favorite movies I really enjoyed uh, Aim High which you worked behind the scenes on Thank uh, you. as well as in front of the camera Thank and so I know much. you're also doing a lot of producing and directing and writing and music yes. and everything so so where, how do you pick where you focus your energies when now? You seem like you're just very busy. Uh, I try to stay busy as, as much as possible. Um, however, you know, I, I make a lot of time for my family now. In my early 20s, uh, I was work, work, work. I never took a break. I was going from the Twilight movies to uh, indie films to my band 100 Monkeys to uh, producing Aim High. Uh, we were Facebook's first show. We were Warner Brothers' first digital series. Um, it, and then, you know, once I, once I had my son, I, I took a, a year and a half off and I just really wanted to focus on, on my family, my parents, my sisters, my, my wife and, and my, my son. And, uh, and now I think I can, that there's a balance that, you know, I'm, as opposed to living in the studio, I, I'm, when I'm making my new record, American Spirit Blues, it's coming out later this month, uh, I made sure I only worked from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. I wanted to make it a real, just, okay, give me give me office hours. Because right. that, that really helps. It helps you focus on, on what you're doing, and it also helps you, I think, make better art because you're focusing on yourself as a human and as a person. And without, uh, without self-care and without focusing on who you really are, I think your art suffers. I feel like I'm doing some of my best work now in my early 30s. There's a book about a band from the 60s, a proto-punk band not a lot of people have heard of. I've tried optioning it a couple times, or, you know, two years ago, uh, eight years ago. And uh, I kind of go back every three, four years, and I'm, I'm actually going back to, to the publishers again to see if I can get an option. It's something that I would love to uh, adapt the screenplay and direct myself, um, and, and as well be in it. Because I, as a musician and as an actor, I really want to fuse those two, and I think nowadays we've seen some really amazing musicals come out, mm -hmm. and what like how the musical has been elevated in a lot of ways, especially since Damien Chazelle. I mean, uh, uh, Hugh Jackman's movie, The Greatest Showman. That's something I want to do. But I grew up with punk music, so I kind of want to tell this story about um, the origins of punk.
And finally, we have Catherine Hardwick, the director of the first Twilight film. She is a character. I don't think I need to say any more. Here she is. What do you think it is about your film and the franchise that really captured the audiences the way they did? I think that um, Stephanie Meyer, you know, the writer, did such a great job of capturing in my film the feeling of first love that everybody kind of remembers how they felt the first like death-defying crush you ever had on anybody even if it was a movie star or a girl in your class or whatever we all kind of know what that was like where you would just almost be obsessive and think of nothing else so I thought that was kind of fun like uh, how do you create that um, screen that obsession you know where it's like that's all I'm thinking about and that was one thing I was trying to do cinematically with the music with the lighting with the camera moves to just draw you in and just make you feel like you were just falling madly in love again for the first time I feel like of all the films, yours has the most of the director's personality coming through. Um, is that is that just the way you make your films, or is that part of the fact that you were kind of the one that they left alone the most before the, it became the machine that it I was? I think it's both. I mean, for me, I'm very personal making the film. I had the actors come to my house. That's where they did the chemistry reads. They, Rob and Kristen met like in my kitchen and did the, you know, the scene in the uh, science class. They, on my bed they did the kissing scene you know I like I'm very personally involved and then also exactly like you say they didn't think it was going to be that big a hit so it was more like an indie film for me it wasn't the giant pressure of this is the Marvel Universe or whatever it's just more like well let's hope it works you know and then Stephanie was very busy on another book and you know, they were doing a lot of other projects so I think so. And I was also able to be a little more free. Like, if, if a, a very important conversation was staged in a car in the book, that's very limiting to shoot in a car. I mean, you've only got two angles over me to you, over you to me, and a windshield. That's very static. So I took those conversations. How long have you been 17? Put them out in the forest, used a techno crank, tried to help you feel how dizzy and scary it would be to ask that question, to reveal that you knew he was a vampire. So I opened it up. Now, later on, I think it was more like, okay, if it said that in the book, you better have that hand over that hand. But, you know, I got to be freer. Okay, there was a good interviews. I was, to be honest, I was never really a fan of the Twilight films, but it's always nice hearing about the people making them, and they made a ton of money, and they, you know, they did a good job with them. I believe people who who uh, like them. I, I I do. You know, I like yeah. the films, and actually, like I said, they were they were all really great to talk to. Uh, very personable people, very humble. You know, with people who got ratcheted to that level of fame at a pretty young age in a in a franchise that was such a worldwide phenomenon, you know, they could easily be much less humble than they were. And I was very, very impressed by them. So it was it was fun. Yeah, so all in all, it was good interviews, but the, the whole weekend at Comic-Con was amazing. Uh, so the, as we said, there'll be some interviews cropping up on the show, but uh, also we'll be putting lots of them on uh, on the liftforfilms.com website. So uh, we'll let you know the one on all the various social medias. Yeah, so keep your eyes and ears peeled. If you're not following us on social media, please do. Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at after underscore the ending and at Facebook where you can find us after the ending podcast if you search for that. And also we've recently gone on Spotify uh, where again, if you search for after the ending podcast, uh, we'll pop up there and they've got all episodes right from the very beginning to the present day. So yeah, we're on Spotify 
iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Stitcher, you name it. Yeah, TuneIn Radio and some of there. So I'm always looking for more. So yep. you can also e- send emails to us at afterTheEnding at Verizon.net. There you go. All right. Well, that's our little recap of New York Comic Con. I'm sure you'll hear a little bit more about that in some future episodes. But for now, uh, we are going to retire for this episode. I don't know if that's a, a phrase that works, but I'm going to use it because why not? Own it, Mike. Own it. That's right. All right. Well, as always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. Oh, I can't speak today. It's going to be a fun one. It's, uh, we'll, we'll get through. Listen, good podcasters make mistakes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> thank you. Yes. I'll be here all week. Yes. Try the fish. <laughs> That's been a while. I know. How's that one? And we'll see you next week. Hello? Yeah, do I, do I say did you, on? Did you say after the ending? No, no. See you next week on after the ending. Do I say on after the ending? No, you say after the ending. Yeah, we'll see you next week after the ending. Yeah, it didn't flow right in my head at all. So, do you want to say that again? How many times have we done this? I know, this? you know, it just goes. And all of a sudden uh, you're like, hey, do I add a phantom word yeah, that's never on, been there on. before? Go on. All right. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. <laughs> <laughs> So random. I know it's crazy. You said but, it. We'll see you next week. And I suddenly just went, that doesn't sound right. You know, when it's even in my head, it's going, that doesn't no, sound right. You know, here's the thing. Like, I can, I can pick on you about it, but I've done that a million times where I yeah. go to say something that I've said a million times. And it's like, wait a minute. Am I saying that right? Yeah. I was like, after, after, after the ending? <laughs> right. After the ending? Yeah. On after the ending? <laughs> about after the ending? Yeah. Somewhere ending. in the adjacent vicinity of after the ending? Ending the after. <laughs>